Welcome to EdTech Speaks, a podcast bringing guests together to share their expertise and advice on navigating business and education in a technology-driven world. From entrepreneurs to vendors, higher education to corporate leaders, we'll uncover their perspective regarding the latest trends and technologies impacting your career or business. Our podcast is made possible by Downing EdTech Consulting, where people and technology connect. Hosted by Cher Downing, an experienced executive spanning a higher education and corporate career with specific focus on the EdTech industry, Dr. Downing is also an international and national presenter, author, and regular media contributor. Now here is your host, EdTech strategist, Dr. Cher Downing. Hi, everyone, and welcome to EdTech Speaks, a podcast where we bring guests to share their expertise and advice on navigating business and education in a technology-driven world. Our goal is to provide you with options for products and services and the knowledge that can help you benefit you, yourself, or your business. I'm Cher Downing, your host, and today I'm excited to bring to you the CEO and founder of Kidum, Asin Rizvi. Hi, Asin. Welcome. Hi, Cher. How are you doing? Doing great today. Thank you so much for joining us. Very excited to talk with you as we're all heading back to school. Kids are getting back in the classroom. We are kind of sort of out of the pandemic space, but we're still kind of lingering, maybe one hand still in there. So want to hear about, you know, what you're doing at Kiddom and, and its purpose and how we can help people out with it. Awesome. So Kiddom is the first all-in-one education platform for high-quality digital curriculum. It is flexible, customizable. It integrates your high-quality digital curriculum management with instruction and assessments and asynchronous communication tools into one solution, which saves schools time, resources, and money. So with Kidim, we believe that one of the biggest levers for improving student outcomes is high-quality digital curriculum, high-quality curriculum. And given what we saw in the pandemic, we believe that it's very necessary for it to be digital so students and teachers and administrators have the flexibility to administer it the way they see fit. As you said, the pandemic, it's not 2020 and, you know, it seems like we're out of, out of the fire, as I suppose, <laughs> for the past couple of years. But, uh, we still need flexibility. We still need our teachers and students to, you know, to have the flexibility of which digital high quality curriculum provides. And, uh, Kirim is here to support their needs. Wonderful. And I think, as you said, we're still trying to figure out where everything is going. And I think part of the frustration for teachers is figuring out how much to have prepared ahead of time in the online environment, how much to have in the classroom. They're really, even with students sitting in their classroom, they're living in a hybrid kind of situation right now, just due to the fact of we never quite know when things are going to change. We never quite know what's coming down the pike. And it's not even across the board. What we saw with the pandemic was one region had very high numbers. Other regions hadn't even seen it yet. So everyone's kind of shifting and, and moving these things around. So I know that teachers can upload their own curriculum onto Kidum, but talk to me a little bit about the partnerships that you have going also and what other available products that they can access. Yeah, for sure. So the best part about Kidum is that we are not uh, curriculum publishers or authors, right? Like, so we rely on 
we we're tool makers and so we rely on either teachers creating their own curriculum which tends to be uh, a portion of what happens at kidam but a lot of what we do is to bring this high quality curriculum which is traditionally been in print and used mm-hmm. in print we bring it to life in a digital landscape and when you you know we believe that's a very important task given what we saw i said uh, in the pandemic and so the gist of it is that you know we have all this high quality curriculum that's been created in the industry but the business model and the and you know the consequently the the model for teachers to use it and students to understand it was based on print they all seen like you know students lugging a huge backpack with lots of books and that there's a pre-pandemic era of that and there's a post-pandemic era of like everything of uh, of that nature that can now be mostly contained in 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 digital format and can be accessed online so based on that a lot of the partnerships we've done is to bring this high quality digital curriculum into kidam and so we we partnered our first partnership was with open up resources which is one of uh, a high quality non profit digital curriculum provider and you know they've been fantastically great at uh, you know and building and launching some great curricula uh, both in math ela and scl etc and we've been able to help them bring those products in, in digital reality life so making it flexible interactive providing school districts the ability to to make them make those materials their own really through our tools and on the on, there's other partnerships we've done with publishers like Kendall Hunt on the industrial math side on open open science which is one of the newest science curricula in the country and we continue to do more with partners like Cornell Foundation which was started by Ed Hirsch who's one of the sort of the fire starters of the science of reading movement and mm-hmm. and we know how reading literacy is a big issue post pandemic so we're really excited to bring that curricula on board as well and we'll have more coming up but the idea is to you know really look at this really high quality curricula that lives in in a static format and how do we bring it into an interactive realm that is so exciting on an, on a couple of levels one in that i think we've been talking for a lot of years about textbooks and how do we get away from having the traditional physical carrying of the books but also using older editions because schools can't afford to replace them and they're missing out on on new content and then the whole OER movement which has been so exciting to see states like Colorado that are really interested in it and and implementing it and recognizing that it's not just about buying books it's about giving equal accessibility to everyone and it's also about learning in a different format being able to relook at that information to see it in a different way to match how people best understand content rather than just that flat one dimensional book so the fact that you're you're coupling that with giving this all inclusive space for teachers really has to be just a uh, phenomenal do you have some feedback from teachers in terms of of how they're enjoying the product Yeah for sure i mean for teachers it really matters that sort of thinking about it holistically right like when you're adopting a new curriculum a curriculum is much more than a couple of videos or it's a you know a couple of lesson plans or something like that it's it's a roadmap right it's a roadmap to how learning will occur throughout the year for a band of of grades across 
K through 12, but that's K through 5, 6 through 8, 9 through 12. I think as a, as a society, right, we haven't provided teachers with really high quality materials. And so what has happened traditionally is that they've gone online and tried to find materials or, you know, staying up late at night and building their own materials, which is just not uh, sustainable, right? We also have yeah. a lot of problems in like teacher capacity in in terms of how much, how many jobs they have to do, they're stewards of their classrooms. And because mm-hmm. of that, they have to do a lot of things. And when you couple this with additional problems, uh, not problems, but additional jobs, which are like curriculum creators, that to me, that's not fair, right? You were asking <laughs> our teachers to do much. So with that in mind, right, like, but adopting a new curriculum is also hard, right? Because it, it provides, especially high quality materials, their structure, their, you know, teachers need professional development and professional learning on them. So the feedback from teachers has always been like, I can finally navigate this curriculum. I don't have to look at like tens of these books to figure out where I'm going to be in a lesson plan and then cross-reference and try to figure out where are my anchor charts and then you know, where's the lesson plan and where am I going to go next with it? Like it provides a structured way to think through the problem of making sure your students are learning on pace, right? And then being able to differentiate, being able to provide those inserts and scaffolds that are for remediation as students go on throughout the year, that's really important. It's almost impossible to do that in a static textbook format. So we've had this great feedback from teachers in terms of what they believe is the true value of Kidam. And it's got, you know, it's pretty much in line with what we're trying to achieve. So we're extremely excited about that. That's uh, amazing. And I think really is is a testament to where we are going. If we did not learn a lot from the pandemic, we certainly learned that being nimble and being flexible, but also still having quality was so important. And we lost some quality. We lost some footage as we were scrambling to try to figure out how to do things in a different format. And as we realized that not everybody has accessibility at home. One of the greatest lessons I think we learned was we have students who don't have computers at home, whose family don't own iPads, who don't have Wi-Fi. And we immediately thought, you know, well, we'll just send everybody home with something and they'll be fine. And they weren't. So, you know, again, having access to books and all and being able to get to those is wonderful. And thinking through for those that don't have accessibility, are you looking on the horizon in terms of, you know, where, what are ways that people can access this content if they're going home and not having that direct Wi-Fi access? That is digital inequity is clearly a problem in the country, right? There, there's vast inequities in the country in terms of like access to, to broadband, access to internet overall. I think the way we think about it or I personally think about it, it that it's there's organizations out there that which have done great work in this area. Like, you know, remember 10 years ago, our biggest issue was that schools didn't have access to bandwidth, right? Mm-hmm. And they didn't have access to internet. And that's organizations like Ed Superhighway and others came in to really, to really solve that problem. And to a large degree, like we, we to a large degree, that's what problem is getting solved or, or, or in fact, like that organization pretty much folded because they believe that job was done, which is great. Right. We have other problems now that we need a lot more bandwidth in schools because everyone's on devices, right? Like that, you know, when we see that occurring all the time. And then we've seen some of where school districts are subsidizing home coverage as well in lower income areas. Cities have had some programs to enable that as well. So 
I think the reality is that it's going to take a long time to get to 100% coverage for every kid or all 50 million public school districts kids. And so we have to build our products in a way that, that require less bandwidth, less, 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 that they can work at lower, lower speeds, et cetera. And that's constantly a consideration for us internally, right? Because we get those issues from our customers and it's, you know, our customers being our teachers and our students and our administrators that, that work with us. And there, there's ways that technology can enable us to solve that problem by asking less of the internet, maybe downloading things beforehand in school while you have Wi-Fi access. So those are considerations for us uh, constantly as you produce it. But again, those are extremely complex problems to solve and we can only do that much, right? The, <laughs> the larger problem as society for us to solve is to figure out how to get cheaper Wi-Fi access to everyone in the country. That And that is so true not just for schools, but for colleges, for healthcare, everything. And I'm excited to hear you talk, though, about the fact that it is in your mind and you are thinking about it. Everyone who develops products, we all have a wish list of what we'd like to get done and the reality of what we can get done. And right. But we want to keep that that constant because I think it's important to your your client base, that they know that you recognize the issues that they're up against. That's That's so valuable to them. They recognize mm -hmm. there's not one solution for anything, but that you at least understand it and you know what they're going through with it just adds so much to it. I want to talk a little bit about, because our audience always has people that are interested in startups. So I want to talk a little bit about the beginning of the product, and then we'll come back around to going back to school this year and such. But mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about where the idea came from and uh, talk to us a little bit about your experience so far in going through the startup process. Yeah, for sure. So the idea really came from sort of working with teachers and students in, in a real world scenario in school districts in, in the Bay Area. Right? I had the privilege of being close to a couple of really great school districts in, in the Bay Area and working with them, I realized that there was there was a big problem in terms of like how teachers were given tools to 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 do their jobs, right? Like, and how effective were those tools in, in, in administrating their classrooms from my purview, at least from an academic perspective, right? How do they create lesson plans? Like, how do, how do they understand how students are learning? How, you know, how do they track data? How do they visualize it so to understand where they, where they need to reteach, whether students are learning at the pace they need to. And when we started, there was a lot lot less of these tools that the teachers had access to. I was also, you know, my my best friend from college, Abbas, who's our Abbas Manji, who's our chief academic officer at Kidham, and we, we started talking about these issues together. And he at the time was on the founding team of a charter school up in the Bronx in New York and I was in the West Coast. And we would often talk about like all these all these problems that teachers face that they don't have access to great tools. And Based on his feedback and the feedback from all teachers and administrators I knew in the area, I started building an early version of Kidum to help teachers build their lesson plans, you know, build a structure to scope and sequence, share assignments with students, have some library workflows and understanding, you know, giving them feedback and understanding student how students are doing, and that that really became the you know the initial catalyst for what became Kidum. In, in, in 2014. And, you know, every startup journey is harrowing. It's hard because <laughs> the world really doesn't care about what you build. 
but hopefully you build something that people want and people need and and you know they care about it and so i you know initially the idea was to get a few teachers involved in in making sure that we can build something that they really like right and so you know in 2015 we we started that process early enough got you know teachers to involved in the process of building the product giving us feedback regularly and that get you know and when we saw teachers really engaging with the product using it the way we thought we could and of course you know there's lots of things we learned with some what users are doing and teachers were doing and students were doing but even in those early days we saw that we, there was a need here right for for teachers to really figure out how to understand what the world here looks like you know, what my lesson plans look like from an academic perspective and to have it all in one place and so you know early enough we, you know, we saw the need we felt and believed that the best way to to assuage this need was to build a company around this product and so we went out looking for financing but in 2015 edtech was not as much as in vogue as it is now <laughs> um and that was that was quite the process it took 7 months to get the first investor meeting for kid i you know was a transplant to the silicon valley and so i didn't know anyone who was an investor so mm-hmm. it took you know a lot of grind and a lot of sort of you constantly meet with people networking and understanding how i can get to the people who would be possibly able to fund this idea and this product but you know going through those constant rejections from investors was hard and we, you know i didn't have a paycheck you know for all that time but despite that like we 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 kept on going and we finally got to a certain amount of traction with the product and started getting you know more and more feedback from the investor community to the point that we found our anchor investor in the early days which is costa ventures that really became the you know the bouncing the bounce that we needed because we needed the cash to be able to invest in the business and build the product to 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 continue building the product towards the vision and so getting that first yes was a huge step towards making kidam a reality and that, for those who have gone through it like it's always really hard and in hindsight you actually don't want to think about this days again because you know, that's how <laughs> hard it could be but that tenacity really is required because building a business from scratch is really hard as i said before like nobody really cares about the things you build you have to will them into existence existence to uh and because you have to build them into existence you have to make something constantly through user feedback through iteration to to understand user needs and to hopefully you build something to to a scale where people care about it a lot and they make it a part of their lives so when kedem first started it was a platform for educators we got traction but as we were talking about high quality curriculum now but we came to the realization that offering curriculum within platform would be a better entry point right like because we saw as a talk about like this sort of static workbook nature or textbook nature of, of of a high quality core curriculum in the country and that became the couple of years down the line that became how how we monetized the product and we were able to build the company towards more scale thank you for sharing that because i think for our listeners and i think it's probably true for all startups in the beginning you're very excited and you're just sure that everyone's going to be so excited about your product as much as you are and then you get out there and reality hits and the word you used tenacity is exactly it that really is the difference between those who make the product become viable and those who give up or you know set it off to the side because there are a lot of no's out there there are a lot of oh i don't see any interest in this 
I think back to 2018, was doing a presentation on online learning and it was a mixed audience. So some higher education, some K through 12 and some corporate training. And the corporate training people were all about, yeah, we just need to check the box that, you know, they took this training and they're done. And the K through 12 people were all about, you know, if we're not in front of them, you know, hugging them and talking to them, they're never going to learn. And the higher ed people were like, eh, we kind of use it, but it's not really that big a deal. And it's never going to, we're never going to be able to replace everything with it. So literally like 14 months later, the country shuts, you know, shuts down and all of a sudden everyone is like, what do we do? How do we do this? How quickly can we move this over? And so you're right. You know, once the need becomes prevalent to everyone, then suddenly it's a viable product. Then suddenly everybody right. wants to do it. The tenacity comes in living through that period where everyone's going, no, nah, we don't really need this and holding on and sacrificing, as you said, paychecks, time, just just part of you going out and talking to people with the continuous door slam in the face or no one taking your calls or all of those kinds of things. All of that is an investment. But when you come out on the other side and the product launches, then you kind of forget about all of that for the most part. And you think, okay, right. we already know we've got something great and now we're going to go forward with it. So to all our listeners, this is a really good lesson in how these things go and the time it takes, you know, it wasn't a month later, it wasn't two months later, it was seven months down the road. And that's a lot of people to talk to in seven months. <laughs> right. And a lot of people who are constantly changing the meeting timings as well. And, and because, you know, they don't really understand what you do, or they can't, you know, you're not a hot startup that is raising money, you're not a hot startup yet. And so, the idea is always to get the first believer. The hardest is to get the mm -hmm. first believers, like the early adopter, the, you know, whether that's for your product or whether that's for your business as an investor. It's hardest to get the first yes, right? Once you get the first yes, that gives you feedback into and, and into how to think about getting to a yes. But the first yes probably gets more yeses and hopefully more yeses after that and more yeses after that. But the first one is the hardest. And even in this day and age of over information, you're hit constantly 24 seven in the world, you still can move 10 times faster having a network connection. You know, you talked about not having a network when you first ended up out in Silicon Valley and wherever you're living, a network is so valuable in the area you're wanting to get into because for all of your cold calls, one person can pick up a phone, call someone they know and say, hey, I'd like you to take a look at this. And instantly it happens. We'd love to say that, well, there's there's a product line call in, people will look at it. But the reality is we're still all about the network. And mm -hmm. particularly in ed tech, because there are so many products and there are so many things that people don't understand until they use it. And then they go, wow, how did I live without this? And so I think for for you to continue pushing through to that was was really valuable. And obviously now you have an exciting product out. People are interested in it. And, you know, who'd have thought when you started on this journey that the pandemic would happen? And suddenly everyone started thinking the same way you were, which is this has got to be better. There's got to be a better way to do this. Um, right. And so timing sometimes is also a great gift, I think, in these things. So now that you've come out the other side, you're up, you're viable, you're going. What are your goals for this year for the company? Yeah, I mean, lots of goals around 
what we're doing, I mean, there's the larger goal for us, right? Like it's, it's going to continue to remain the same. It's how do we enable high quality instructional material with KIDEM's platform to enable school districts to really make it their own, right? It's, it's about, uh, we have a flexible, customizable education platform. It marries curriculum management, instruction, assessments, communication tools. You know, how do you push more information through this, right? As a company, we're really looking to make sure that we can not just help the partners we have, but more partners in the industry. And so the big goal is for us to see where there's pockets of need across the country. Core curriculum is very different than supplemental curriculum. You know, the mm-hmm. Core curriculum is much more structured, much more, uh, as I said, as a roadmap for teachers to employ in their classrooms and enable in their classrooms. And with Kidum, you get to own it as a teacher, right? You can make the edits, you can make the changes that are required for you to really hone it for your classroom. And that, you know, that is a new concept in core curriculum that, that mm-hmm. never used to happen before because you have a textbook and you have to just use that. But with Kidum and being digital and being able to edit it and contextualize it, that's, that's, that's a big difference, right? So from a company perspective, we're really working towards some really great partnerships that will enable us to get into different subject areas and product areas that we have been in, right? We're really, as we go back to school, right, as we go after the two years of sort of what I would say is 2020 and 2021, we still were going through a process of where schools were getting shut down, not in the entire country, but different states have different policies. Mm-hmm. But, you know, 2022 seems like the first time after two years that, you know, students are going back to school, the school districts are getting teachers back in the fold in, in the classrooms and what seems to be headed towards a more normal time, right? And so now how do we take our learnings from the the pandemic and the the digital like, catalyst digital the, the digital evolution that happened throughout that and sort of like push them into the classroom right like so how does the classroom look like right the classroom has right. to look much different than teaching on a video call or teaching half your kids on a video call and half your kids in the classroom wearing masks now you know how as you go back to the classroom how do we blend right how do you blend the nature of online learning, the best parts of online learning, you know, the worst parts, and the best parts of in-person learning, right? And, you know, we've talked about blended learning for over 10, 15 years, but blending the two is really important, in my opinion, because you need to use and employ the digital tools in a manner that, that's fit for your classroom. So we've been working a lot towards that and the instructional technologies that can power that. One of our recent products was Lesson Launch that really empowers teachers to, to use a curriculum in a manner right like that is deployed in the classroom so now you have these great presentations you can run like quick checks for understanding and it's it really provides a structured way of running the classroom or that set 30 minutes 40 minutes 45 an hour in a way that is mediated through technology and all your students can be using our technology and can be inside and outside of the technological experience consecutively so for us, we've been investing in that over the past year and really excited to bring that to market over the past couple of months and seen amazing uptick from our customers, amazing feedback from our customers, how they use it and how that makes the curriculum experience much more, much less of a lift for teachers because, you know, it can mm-hmm. be a big lift. And we have to be okay with that. And the third part is a lot of what I think on the core curriculum side that's been hard to understand 
because it's been textbook is how do teachers actually use it? Like, how do they actually traverse <laughs> it? Like, do they go unit by unit? Do they go lesson by lesson? By? Like, do, or right. do they actually, you know, skip around? How do they contextualize? How do they understand, what, you know, what, what's best for their students? So a lot of what we've been building and we'll be raising over the next couple of months is really focus on, like, how to make school administration, the school community at large, understand how the curriculum experience is being utilized inside and outside the classroom. And hopefully over time, how is it tethered to student understanding? So we recently announced partnerships with uh, CenterPoint and and there's more assessment providers that will be partnering up in the future. And the idea there is really to, right now we believe there's a lost link between how students are assessed and what core curriculum materials they're using, right? And mm-hmm. so, you know, those formative checks of understanding or the formative uh, assessments that you can give them, like, how do they make sure, or not even make sure, but the, how is that information utilized in the classroom, right? Uh, you know, that right now we believe there's a huge gap. So for us, like, we really want to bridge that gap over time because where you're using your core curriculum in a highly flexible digital platform is where, you, where you're getting your data from should be helping you understand where you need to scaffold intervene with the curriculum as well as you get those uh, the, that assessment information. And as a school community uh, or school district, you want to know, like, you know, you, you, you push a lot of resources in this high-quality digital curriculum. How is it working? How is it being utilized? Because by the time you get the assessment results, it might be too late to make any changes. Exactly. No, and that is such a, that has been such an issue for years and years and years, even back in just using pen and paper, because you would have some teachers who would teach exactly from the textbook and they would test exactly from the textbook. And students would say, well, I don't listen in class because I know they're going to, the test is going to be from the textbook. So I'll just go home and read it take the test, pass, and move on. There's really no retention. There's just a temporary matching situation where they're able to give the right answers and appear like they've had retention in that. Other teachers who didn't hardly ever use the book would throw in one or two questions from the book to make it look like they had used it. And that always made me crazy, even as a student. But from a even a budget focus, you're thinking, well, why are we paying for all these books? And the teacher's not using them at all, except maybe one chapter or, you know, they throw Mm -hmm. a couple questions in just to make sure. We've had all these idiosyncrasies over time, and yet our assessment has stayed flat and stayed the same, which is, did you retain what we just told you? And then once Mm -hmm. you check that box, you move on and the retention then can dissipate and we don't really care. That's the problem until you get to the next grade and the very first lesson, they say, well, you learned this last year, so we're not going over it. And suddenly you're at a loss. Your methodology of assessing usage, assessing application, assessing the depth of what they're doing with it is going to give them so much better data and so much better understanding of how their teachers teach of the type of students that they have, depending upon their type of school. We already see discrepancies in low income versus charter versus public, large classes versus small. And now suddenly you've got a measurable point that those pieces kind of go away. It's not so much about you have 50 students, you have 10 students. 
the learning mechanism is still the same and the measurement is still all focused on the learning. That I think is brilliant and is long overdue for what we need in, in our teaching curriculum. So I, I foresee that that's going to be a really big attraction for you in the coming years as we continue to struggle with new viruses popping up and, and just new disruptors in general in our world. Right. Yeah. To me, it seems amazing that we're in 2022 and when you ask most either on the author publisher side or, 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 or this side, because they're so used to procuring it, the core curriculum in, in, in the print format, these questions are just not being asked. And that's, to me, that's surprising, right? Like, I mean, it's to, for a large part, it's because of the way the industry is structured and how schools procure core curriculum, right? It's a long timetables. You don't want to really make, remake those decisions. But the flip side of that is that because you're not remaking the wheel or reinventing the wheel on the core curriculum side every couple of years, you want to ensure that you're getting the fidelity of information of how it's being implemented, how it's being utilized, right? And we see this districts wanting this information that it's just hard to you know for them to understand how they can do it right mm -hmm. because if you procured something in 2010 and never made a curriculum decision and since then the world has changed in the last 12 years right and we believe that the world has changed much better for the for digital technologies and we can now take these we, we can now we are now in a position to ask these questions and hopefully find answers to these questions right because the you know the answer could not it's not just on the classroom it could be that we didn't provide as a school committee there was not enough professional development for the teachers right they, there was not enough professional learning uh, on the materials so that teachers could apply and you can fix those issues over time if you know what they are but if you're only looking at the assessment data point and you know trying to figure out through surveys what's happening that's that seems we have better tools now that hopefully we can deploy to to get answers for those questions. So I think of a particular instance here in Phoenix, which is we have a huge teacher shortage, as do many districts and many uh, states. To alleviate some of the pressure of that, there's been an opportunity given that if you are a professional, so you are you know somewhat credentialed, but you are not a teacher, mm -hmm. you are not a certified teacher, you can get hired. So if you think about in college, higher education oftentimes will hire professors of practice, which means mm -hmm. they come from an industry and they're bringing their industry knowledge to the classroom, but they're not trained as a professor. So we're doing that the same here for the school districts. If you are a professional and you meet the criteria, which is pretty minimal, you can become a school teacher without any certification. They'll plop you in a classroom and they will provide some professional development kind of things. Obviously, you know, having spent my career in education, that's really concerning to me because I know teaching is not just about standing in front of a classroom and disseminating mm -hmm. information. There are so many facets that fall into that that you have to understand. So I think about the outcomes of doing this in mm -hmm. six months, in a year, when principals and curriculum directors are going, what did we really learn this year? How did students learn? You know, how are we measuring this? Because we have people who have certified professional teachers who have wealth of experience. And we have someone who decided it would just be kind of fun to come teach 
who doesn't have that background. So I see even in an instance like that where your assessment can provide them with much more in-depth information and start to look at, wow, we've got to do a better job with professional development, or we've got to assist these people in incorporating this heavier in their classroom or whatever the case may be. I don't suspect that Arizona is the only one with this kind of situation and that it's doing some short-term kind of fix. So I see also the ability of, of your tool to really fit in and help school districts that are struggling to get through this year, much as they struggled differently to get through last year. You know, it's still a struggle. Mm-hmm. It's not going back to school and just enjoying the school year. There's a lot of behind the scenes situations that are going on. So I think the timing of your product is is so valuable. And I think that there's a real opportunity to really impact so many schools. And ultimately, what our goal is, is to impact those kids so that they keep learning mm-hmm. and moving forward. And we're not ending up with yeah. with poor graduation rates. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that we hear this from our customers consistently about teacher shortages, right? They don't have enough teachers for a particular subject area. And I think the, you know, I think what's happening is that when you look under the hood, like it's probably that, you know, certain subject areas have less support in the district now than other mm-hmm. subject areas, right? You don't have enough AP teachers for a particular subject because there's not that much of a concentration of those teachers in, in, in a geographic area, right? And, you know, we've, we've had the, the past few years have been sort of a very different time than the past 10 years before mm-hmm. them because we've had teachers leaving the market and the last few years were really hard on them, right? Like teaching and being responsible with students inside and outside of a classroom while trying to do your job, while trying to learn a new curriculum, maybe, or or trying to deploy like supplementary material, like it's 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 too much. Like it, that that mm-hmm. that weighs on you. And I've heard people who qualitatively people have left the industry because of that. And quantitatively, we're looking at like teacher shortages happen in in fits and bouts across the country. Right, we hear it's from our customers. So it's very clear to us at Kilim that we need to build better tools for teachers to have a road for what they need to teach, how they need to teach it, that helps them do that in a timely manner and sort of alleviate some of their issues and concerns over time, right? On making sure that students are learning and 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 they're and, and to provide them those supports and scaffolds that they need to keep learning. So when you think about how you know the, one of the big things that you know as society we have to contend with is like loss of learning, call it learning loss or this various ways to to talk about that but when you think about how behind students are because they didn't get their requisite supports that because of the disrupted nature of the school during the past two years you have kids who are months behind in both you know ela and 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 math efficiency the real question becomes okay how are we going to make sure that these students are, are are going to be are learning at par with their grade level and age over time. And that's that's hard to do. That you have to go back for two years of instructional materials. And it's hard to do in an area in 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 an area where you have less teachers because now you have less resources to actually make sure the students can come up to par with the teaching and learning methodology that, that the school district is trying to envelop. 
So my, my point being that these are big, hard societal problems that we have to contend with. I think hopefully we are, can play a, a, a part in those in those issues. But how do we how do we get more teachers in in, in the industry? Is it's a much bigger problem, as you probably know. Like in your listeners know, there's been ways to contend with this. There's a big push, especially from the federal government, from the state governments. Texas has actually passed a bill. I think there's some some interesting things are happening with like increasing baseline salaries over time mm-hmm. for for teachers to for new teachers coming into the well for all teachers and to make the profession more attractive which i think is much needed we need teachers to get paid more and we need to provide them better tools and as these new teachers come in because they come in with so much excitement and fervor for changing the way their student the you know the students lives and right. we want to make sure that they're they're getting compensated for, for for all the work they do. This has been such an exciting conversation, both from a startup standpoint, but also more importantly to what you're doing for K through 12 and, and impacting the future. How do principals or teachers that have an interest reach out and get a hold of you? For sure. Get a website is www.kiddom.co. You can contact us and someone from the company will We'll definitely reach out to you if you want to reach out to me very easy it's my first name asan ahsan at kidum.co so if you have any feedback for me as a teacher as a as a administrator if you want to talk about some of the problems that we discussed in this podcast i will be more than happy to chat about them please reach out Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me today. We will also include all of the contact information and website where you get your podcast, whether that's Spotable, Apple, iHeartRadio. We will have all that information there as well as on our own website, www.downingedtech.com. Thank you, Ashad, again for joining me today. Thank you to all our listeners. And as always, keep learning. Thank you for listening to EdTech Speaks with EdTech strategist Cher Downing. To learn more about the services Downing EdTech and its staff can provide you, find us at www.downingedtech.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to share it. We'd also like to hear from you regarding any suggestions for topics or guests and the value you received from our show. Check back for new podcasts with featured guests at www.downingedtech.com backslash podcast. Wow. Wow. Wow.